What's up, everybody? This is Jamie from the Lightning Round Podcast. I am here with Alan Popar from All, Dolph- All Dolphins Blog and the All Dolphins Podcast from SI. Alan is here to help me introduce the Dolphins Chargers game next week um, for the first regular season game. And we are going to get our first ever regular season episode of the walkthrough started right now. So, Alan, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate you being on. Absolutely. And, and I noticed in the intro how appropriate it is that the last player featured was Junior Seau, who played for both the Dolphins and the Chargers. That's right. Good point. So, Alan, I, we kind of talked about it a little bit before. Uh, this is kind of an introduction show for the, the first game of the season. So we're going to run through some matchups, some schematic questions, uh, maybe some questions about particular personnel groupings and We'll just kind of see where the conversation takes us, and I'm sure we're going to have a good time. You ready? Let's do it. <clears throat> Let's do it. Awesome. Well, if my if my my voice holds up, yeah. <laughs> so I figured we could just kind of start with uh, with the game that the Chargers and Dolphins played last year. Uh, it was obviously talked about quite a bit with Acho talking about Tua versus Herbert, and um, you know the kind of the, the matchup of the young quarterbacks. And things kind of didn't go the way I think a lot of people thought they would. So why don't we talk a little bit about what went right for the Dolphins in that game and what went wrong for the Dolphins in that game? Yeah, I don't know that a ton went right. Actually, they got a couple of like breaks to get to be able to make the score as close as it was. I remember, the, I, was, I don't need to tell you that the, Dol- the Dolphins lost 23-17. And the Dolphins' two touchdowns came when... Tyreek Hill picked up a fumble after Teron Armstead, who was on the ground, kind of batted it his way after uh, I think it was Jeff Wilson Jr. fumbled. And then Hill used his speed to go all the way around and score. And then the, the other touchdown came when the Chargers defensive back stumbled and fell as Tyreek Hill is. He was covering Tyreek Hill downfield and Tua hit him with a 60-yard touchdown pass. Those are the only two touchdowns. And outside of that, the Dolphin offense really was not in sync that night. And, and the question was, from the Dolphins' standpoint, how much of it was what the Chargers' defense did to them? And if you recall at that time, Chargers were missing a whole bunch of players on defense. And the expectation, starting with the two-hour Herbert matchup, was like, man, that's going to be fireworks all over the place. Yeah, who's going to outdo the other quarterback? Is it going to be Herbert or is it going to be Tua? Because you know they're both going to light it up. I mean, Tua's facing a, a secondary, missing a whole bunch of players. I mean, he's going to feast. And lo and behold, it didn't happen. In fact, I would make the point that no team clamped down the Dolphin passing game as much or as well as the Chargers did that night. And from what I could see, it looked like, number one, the cornerbacks were very physical with Hill and Waddle at the line of scrimmage, and they also jammed up the middle of the field to make sure that they didn't 
go to those areas that were so wide open for most of the 2022 season. Um, that was the biggest takeaway there. I don't think this was a game where the Dolphins, again, as I said, got outplayed more by what the final score might indicate. Uh, and is if we're looking, if we look taking that matchup, looking at this year, I would imagine the Chargers defense would try to do something similar because it worked so well for them last year. Yeah, no, I think you make some good points. Um, the Chargers definitely were very physical with the corners or with the, the Dolphins wide receivers, excuse me. And they took away the middle of the field. There was a lot of cover five, some cover six, and they played a lot of inside leverage and they just weren't going to let the Dolphins get to the middle of the field. And they took away a lot of those easy reads for Tua with the ball, with the play right in front of him where he could just pitch and catch with the wide receivers in space. And it seemed like he really struggled with that. So I guess the question is, what do you think the Dolphins are doing at this point to overcome that? Because I think you're right. We're going to see something very similar to that in week one with the Chargers trying to repeat that game plan with a healthy secondary. So what do you think Mike McDaniel is doing from a schematic standpoint, from a game planning standpoint to overcome those challenges and make things easier on, on Tua? Yeah, this is all part of the chess game, isn't it? Between, between offense and defense. Because again, maybe until proven otherwise, the Chargers defensive coaches are going to be like, Hey, that worked great last year. Well, let's do it again. And you figure Mike McDaniel is going to going to know that, and he's going to be like, okay, how do we counter that? Well, it could be maybe more of an emphasis on the running game, which they were very quick to abandon last year, to their detriment. <clears throat> excuse me, I don't know what's going on with that. <laughs> um, to their detriment, and Mike McDaniel said after the season that he was going to emphasize <clears throat> staying with the running game more than he did last year. Whether he's going to be able to stick to that is the big question because when you have Tyreek Hill and Jalen Wall and the speed and all the problems they, that creates, it's awfully tempting to default back to that every single time. Uh, maybe another way to attack that is quick throws like wide receiver screens, uh, regular screens, but you're absolutely right. Where the Dolphins feasted last year, most of the season, quick slants, and then having Hill and Waddle with their speed create so much fear for opposing defensive coordinators that they would back off so much, all the space in the world, and you would see Hill and Waddle wide open on the middle of the field, 20 yards on field. And then, and one example of that, I don't know if you saw the clip. I mean, it, it was like a basic 12-yard completion to Tyree Kill in the preseason game, which normally was no big deal, right? But it was such a glaring example of how defensive players are so scared of his speed. It was a third and, and eight, I think it was, against Houston, I want to say. And Hill's in the slot, and he runs in a straight line. And the DB, slot cornerback, a veteran, Desmond King, got his hips turned at one point and then starts sprinting down the field, anticipating Hill to just run a go. Except at that, at that exact time he's doing that, Hill cuts to the outside. And by the time he gets close to the sideline, there's literally nobody. And, I, and I'm not joking. I actually looked at the literally nobody within 10 yards of Tyreek Hill. 12-yard completion. I mean, talk about an easy pitch and catch. And that's, that's what Tyreek Hill's speed does to opposing defenses. And there's no way to minimize its impact. The Chargers were – the week before the Dolphins played the Chargers, they played at San Francisco where the offense struggled as well, minus two big plays, which they got against the Chargers. Except in that game – there were guys who were open against the chargers. It was completely baffling to me and 
to Dolphin fans and I'm sure to the Dolphin coaches, those guys weren't open most of the night. And then Tua kept trying to force passes that just weren't there. And he wound up his completion percentage, unless I'm mistaken, was under 50%, which was crazy. So having said all of that, a very long-winded way of saying, of getting back to the, the original point is, yeah, the Dolphins have to go in thinking the Chargers are going to do the same thing. So how do we combat that? And it has to start with stick to the running game more. Don't force the shots downfield if they're, if they're not there. Dolphins have, have good receiving backs whether it be Raheem Mostert, whether it be Savan Ahmed, or whether it be even their fullback, Alec Ingles, a good receiving uh, back. So they need, if it means to beat what the Chargers are doing, it means maybe not feeding Helen Waddle as much as they normally would. That, that needs to be the plan. Uh, they just can't force feed it. That's fair. Um, I think you made some some really good points there. So I'm curious. Uh, this is year three, or sorry, year four for Tua, just like it is for Herbert. Uh, they both had some successes. They both had some growing pains. So let's talk a little bit about some throws that Tua might struggle with, uh, maybe some certain coverages that Tua might struggle with, and where you think you might see the most growth this year. Yeah, you're going to get me in trouble with the Dolphin fan base. <laughs> end up watching this uh two was a very polarizing figure i don't know and you can answer this for me it's like after i'm done here is what's the general take on herbert is it universal love or is he a little bit polarizing because with tua he's extraordinarily polarizing and it's kind of annoying actually because you have some some fans will tell you he can't do anything right uh you know he's too small doesn't have an arm can't stay healthy and then you have other fans who like he, he's the greatest quarterback who ever played the game uh, and everything that went wrong in his first two years was everybody else's fault. And last year was all him. So there's like, and obviously the truth relies, I mean, lies somewhere in the middle. You're asking me like what throws to is going to struggle with. It's pretty obvious. And, and Dolphin, so those Dolphin fans who don't want to hear it. Sorry. That's the truth. The arm strength is below NFL average. Okay. And there was a lot of chatter last year. Well, you can't, you can't complete a deep pass, which was completely stupid. No offense to anybody, but you're an NFL quarterback. Obviously you can complete a deep pass. It's all about how often can you do it? And then can you do it if your guys very well covered and you have to put on a dime 50 yards outfield? That's not too. Tyreek Hill's going to get open by 10 yards or by five yards or by three yards behind a DB. Yeah. Tyreek, I mean, Tua can get on the ball. Where the arm strength becomes an issue for Tua is if he's trying to throw a pass outside the numbers down the field. And again, this is where somebody would come up with one example and see you're wrong. There's a pass right there. Again, it's about <laughs> being able to do it consistently. And the thing with Tua is he can make that throw if the timing is perfect. Like almost like before the player makes the cut to where the length of time that's going to take the ball to get there because it's going to get there not as quickly as if is as if Herbert's throwing it, as if Josh Allen's throwing it, or Mahomes or somebody else. If the timing's not right, the DB's going to be able to step in there and either break up the pass or pick it off. Um, so that and that's going to be the limitation. And that's physically the limitation. The other limitation is can he throw well on the move? Uh, again, because he does just not have the arm strength. If his feet aren't set, he's not going to get a whole lot of juice on the ball. That's just a fact. And then the other thing as well is when you talk about Tua, it always comes up is the health issue. Uh, can he stay healthy for a full season? I mean, some of, some of it's just bad luck. The other part of it is he's just not very big. And 
if you recall the concussion he sustained in the Thursday night game against Cincinnati, he got slung around. I mean, I hate to use that. He got slung around like a rag doll by the defensive tackle where, where if you're looking at a thicker, bigger quarterback, he might get, he'll get tackled anyway, but he won't get slung around like that to where there's a whiplash effect with the head spinning back. Now he, he's, I'm sure you've heard because if you and if you haven't, you're not following the NFL very much because it's all over the place. Tua took jujitsu lessons in the offseason. Yep. Okay. All in the name of being able learning how to fall. Learning how to fall. But here's the thing, and that's great and all and dandy, and that applies when he has the time to protect himself. My art, my point on this has been, and I, I take a lot of crap for it. In the, in the heat of the game, in the heat of the game, if he's got a 320 20 pound guy on him coming at him full speed and he's got his grasp on him, it's not going to be like, okay, Tua, now I'm about to take you down, so prepare yourself. No, it's going to be slinging him down. And this, at the, some point, there's only so much that jujitsu training is going to be a help. Having said all that, even if it helps 2%, that's great. He's got the new quarterback helmet, which is like a little bit thicker. Even that's 2% that helps. And then, and more than anything else, he needs to learn to give up on a play if there's nothing there. And if you put those factors together, maybe he gets lucky and we don't even talk about concussion issues at all in 2023. And there's no other fluke injuries and he can play a full season for the first time in his NFL career. Those are the, those are the, would be the areas that can, where he can get better. So now I want to hear from you because I, this is, it's interesting living in Miami and, and, you know, hearing the two asides is Justin Herbert polarizing in the least or is he universally loved in, in LA or among Charger fans? I would say he's more or less universally loved among Chargers fans where he's polarizing is outside of the Chargers fandom. So I think people are tired of hearing about him, to be honest. He gets so much press and there's always a highlight video of him and people are raving about the arm strength and the athleticism. And I think there are just a lot of people who are tired of hearing about a guy who hasn't won a playoff game yet and has only had one, like, you know, solid, really solid season, one loss wise. Um, and I get it. You know, I, I think Herbert's fantastic. He's extremely talented, but that is not to say like you, like you said with Tua, that there aren't areas where he can improve. Um, I think he is a little bit, too risk averse at times. He is a guy who he's how, not. I'm sorry. At, I'm sorry. How much of that though was the previous coordinator telling him don't take chances, as opposed to him? I think a lot of it is coaching. Yeah. I do think a lot of it is coaching. Uh, I think a lot of it also, especially last year, was the injuries, the the left shoulder, the rib cage. He just needed to get the ball out, and the offensive line was a mess, and the receivers just weren't that good for most of the season because Williams and Allen were hurt. So I think a lot of it was just circumstance. The offense had to be reined in quite a bit because the offensive line was awful, to be perfectly frank. Um, and I think a lot of it is also he's being coached not to turn the ball over. So one of the areas that they've been working on with him in camp this year has really been to take more chances. And that's not necessarily to be careless with the ball, but it's more, hey, look, look at this arm you've got. You can fit the ball in the tight windows. You can layer the ball between a corner and a two deep safety and cover two. You don't have to check the ball down to Austin Eckler a hundred times a year. Mm -hmm. Take some of those chances. Trust your arm. Trust your ability. Um, so I think we're going to see more of that. 
I also think that he's been very structured in terms of not really having a lot of freedom to change plays at the line of scrimmage or kind of wheel and deal when things break down. And I think Kellen Moore is going to change some of that. I think they're going to kind of cut him loose a little bit. Um, and I think you're going to see him run more. You know, I don't think it's going to be running 15 times a game like Josh Allen or 20 times a game like uh, Jalen Hurts or something like that. But you might see some, you know, more strategic, uh, situational type running packages for him, some RPOs, uh, some read options, particularly in the red zone. It's an area where Kellen Moore did that quite a bit with with uh, Dak Prescott, where they'd get Prescott on the edge and give him a run pass option. And he was really effective kind of making the offense more diverse in those situations by with his ability to use the legs. So I think you'll see some of that. And I just think you'll see more growth in a more aggressive offense. I think you're not going to see the sticks quite so much. You're not going to see, you know, wide receivers running five yards downfield, turning their back to the defense, stopping their feet and waiting, the ball, waiting for the ball. So hopefully they're going to be creating more run after catch opportunities for the wide receivers. And they're going to be taking more chances down the field. And I think that's where some of the areas of growth are. And, you know, in terms of coverages, I've always thought that Herbert, I mentioned it, I kind of alluded to it earlier. He, he has struggled with cover two quite a bit. Um, he doesn't like to try to drop the ball in the bucket between the corner and the safety. He just doesn't want to risk it. And I think you're going to see more of that this year with the wide receivers, with the, the addition of Quentin Johnston, with Allen and uh, Williams being healthy, with Palmer having another year under his belt. I think he's going to trust those receivers, and I think he's going to make trust himself and make those throws more. Okay, that's interesting. Um, yeah, and I know, trust me, uh, among Dolphin fans, the fact that the Chargers blew that 27 nothing lead in the playoff game, a lot of it, you, you hear the chatter, like, yeah, Justin Herbert's so great. He, he blew that 27 nothing lead. And I actually watched the game, and it was like, yeah, no, not really. The Chargers blew the 27. It's not like he did. I mean, I, I, as I recall, like he had like one really, really bad throw late in the second quarter that forced him to settle for a field goal or something like that. And then, but I saw some like weird. And then after the fact, they bring back the announcer or, or not announced, but the decision is made to bring back Brandon Staley. And from here, 3,000 miles away, wherever I'm like, they're bringing back Brandon Staley, really? Um, was that yeah. surprise at all to you guys? I mean, um, I think it was a surprise to some fans. I think for me, um, it wasn't a huge surprise only because that's just the way the Spanoses operate. Um, Staley has a four-year contract. The, ch the Chargers very rarely fire a quarterback before he completes his four years. Um, more often than not, what you see is leading into year four, they give him a bogus one-year extension to give him some um, security. And then after year four, if they don't win, they're gone. That's the pattern that they had with Mike McCoy. They did the same thing with Anthony Lynn. Um, they might have a harder time doing that with Staley if he has another bad year this year. But I think looking at, at the big picture, they were, um, they were what not a uh, nine and eight, um, in 2021, Last year, they're 10 and seven. I think they're looking at it as, hey, we were really banged up. We were a mess physically all year in 2022. Um, 
And in the middle of the season, Staley and the coaches pulled the team together and they went on a run. Now, a lot of that had to do with the schedule. They, they played some really weak teams down the stretch, you know, teams like the Falcons and the Titans um, and some other, you know, kind of questionable teams that were falling apart down the stretch. Um, and that had, a, that played a big role, even the Dolphins to an extent, they, they didn't finish very strong. So, uh, um, you know, I think that had, that played a big role in things coming together, but they simplified the defense they had a lot more success on defense down the stretch than, than they had earlier in the year. And I, th- I think they kind of looked at it as we're seeing growth and we're seeing adjustments and we're seeing thing they're learning from their mistakes and figuring things out. And I'm not sure it's totally fair to blame Staley for that loss. There were some decisions they made that could have been better. Um, the jet sweep to Michael Bandy on fourth and one was a disaster. Um, but they had, they were shutting the Jaguars down for the most part in the first half. They, they turned the ball over four times. They were not able to put the ball in the end zone when they had those four turnovers. That should have been probably a 35 or 42 to nothing game in the third quarter. And it should have been over. Um, but you see poor play calling, poor execution on the offense. They're settling for field goals. They're not able to sustain drives. And because they're not scoring points, the defense is on the field longer Then Michael Davis gets hurt in the second half or right before the first half, Kenneth Murray takes him out with friendly fire. The whole secondary changes. Now they can't play that press coverage. They're playing soft zone. They're letting guys catch the ball in front of them and they're not making tackles. And it just kind of fell apart and it was ugly. Some of it was coaching. I think some of it was just circumstantial, but from a regular season standpoint and making the playoffs, I think they're looking at at it from a block and tackle standpoint of we didn't make the playoffs year one. We made the playoffs year two. There's an opportunity to be better next year. If we can stay healthy, it's kind of the the mantra of all NFL teams, right? All we need is good health and we can win. We have the roster. And I think that's the way the charters are looking at it. Yeah. What's the ceiling for that team? You think? I think this team is capable of winning somewhere in the neighborhood of 11 to 13 games. If things break right, they need to stay healthy. I think one thing that's encouraging for me right now is in the years, in years past, particularly in year one with Staley, they had no depth. I mean, their depth was, they were literally bringing in cornerbacks off the street at the end of the season because they were so banged up and even the depth that they had was bad. So they're much deeper. They had much more difficult decisions to make when they made their, their, their cuts last week. And I think this is a team that can win 11 to 13 games. I think they're capable of winning a playoff game or two. Uh, The big question is going to be how much has the offense really changed from a schematic standpoint and from a, an aggressiveness standpoint, are they going to be able to be more explosive? I think they have to be more explosive. They're way too reliant on 15, 16, 20 play drives to kick a field goal where they're, you know, going for two or three fourth downs and the, the whole offense the last two years was basically set up to set up third and manageable and fourth and short. It wasn't set up to score points. It was set up to move the ball and kick field goals. So that's going to change this year. I think they will be more explosive on second down, probably a little bit less reliant on the run on first down. Um, they're really focused on kind of marrying the run and the pass. I think, you know, we know Eckler's a talented running back. 
Kelly's shown some development. Spiller looked really good in the preseason. I think they're going to be able to run the ball a lot better with their new revamped offensive line. Um, and that's going to lead to more explosive plays in the passing game. And if they can do that, then they should be able to take some pressure off the defense and win some games. What do you think the ceiling is for the Dolphins? Yeah, and, and it's like like you said, and it's I, I hate to even say it because it applies to practically every team. I mean, like if Patrick Mahomes gets hurt, I mean, we're talking about the Chiefs as a Super Bowl contender. But, yeah, they have to stay healthy. They have a lot of pieces in place. I mean, if Tua – again, if Tua is the Tua who was performing like in the first 11 games of the season in 2022 when the Dolphins were 8-3 and three and they were on a run of four almost flawless games on offense – you know, with Tyreek and then Waddle again in the offense, the defense, the biggest addition on defense as much. And it's interesting too, because this is the first week matchup, but maybe from where I said, the biggest uh, addition for the Chargers from last year is Kellen Moore. Mm -hmm. as OC, And maybe the biggest addition for the Dolphins is Vic Fangio as DC. Uh, and there's a, a lot of talent at every level on this Dolphin defense, even with Jalen Ramsey on injured reserve and out until at least November, December, because you have Christian Wilkins, who's an elite run defender. You have Bradley Chubb and Jalen Phillips, who certainly have a lot of ability as outside pass rushers, much like Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa for the Chargers. You have a stud cornerback in Xavier Howard, who made the Pro Bowl last year, even though he didn't have a good year because he was hurt all year. But when, when he's healthy, he is as good a cornerback as there is. There's nobody with better ball skills than him. They have a up-and-comer safety with Pro Bowl in his future, if not multiple Pro Bowls, and Javon Holland. Not sure he's quite on the level as of a, of a Derwin James of the Chargers, for example. But the expectation is that under Fangio, who's always had productive safeties in terms of interception numbers, Holland's game is going to pick up quite considerably – after he took a little bit of a dip last year in his second year, really, really good as a rookie in 2021. So if everything, again, as with every team, as with every team, things have to go right. But if they stay healthy and the guys who are expected to perform at a high level do so, they were nine and eight last year with two are missing four games with the defense taking a step back from the previous year under Brian Flores when he was the head coach. Yeah, I think it's fair for Dolphin fans to like have visions of 11 win, 12 wins. I don't know exactly what the ceiling is. And this is going to be a Charger problem as well as because there are just so many damn good teams in the AFC with mm -hmm. elite quarterbacks. Josh Allen, Aaron Rodgers, Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, Trevor Lawrence. I expect Deshaun Watson to look a lot more like Houston Deshaun Watson than the guy we saw last year after a year of inactivity who really struggled. And then Pittsburgh, which completely lit it up in the preseason. And I certainly don't put a whole lot of stock in the preseason, but when's the last time Mike Tomlin had a losing season? Answer, never. <laughs> so, and then with Pickett's now starting his second year in the NFL, Pittsburgh's going to be a factor. I mean, is the it's just so many good teams in the NFL where the Dolphins actually could have a better team roster wise and perform just as well and either not be able to top their nine wins from last year or even not even able to match it just because the AFC is just that good. And the question that I have 
and I don't know if you have it with Herbert, is can Tua perform to the level of those elite quarterbacks? And this is where somebody might come back at me and say, well, Tua led the NFL in passer rating last year. Okay, but again, and again, this gets me in trouble with some Dolphin fans <laughs> all the time. Just go oh, ahead. This is a Chargers podcast. Don't worry about the Dolphins. Yeah, but the reality is a lot of that had to do with Harry <laughs> and Jalen Waddle being running free down the field, 20 yards open, not 20 yards open, 20 yards downfield, wide open, and then two are doing a really, really good job of getting them the ball. Absolutely. If those guys are going to be open like that the whole year, Dolphin offense is not going to be stoppable. But it's when they're not wide open like they were in the Charger game last year and Tua was not able to step up and, you know, raise his level of game. I don't think I'm like sharing national secrets by saying that Herbert clearly outplayed Tua in that game. And that's, that's the, the, the key for me is Tua has to stay health, healthy and has to match that level of quarterback play from the, the guys I mentioned. Yeah. I think they're both in similar situations. Um, Herbert's had a little bit more national attention just because of the the amazing throws and the athleticism and stuff like that. And two has been hurt. So he hasn't had the opportunity to get some of that attention. He started to get some of it last year, right? But not as much. Um oh no, he got he got a lot of it. He especially yeah. that that Baltimore game in week two when they came back from what was it, 35-14 down and threw six touchdown passes. Mm-hmm. Got a lot of national attention, but Again, look at the highlights. Look, look how wide open. And one of them is a busted coverage where nobody's covering Tyreek Tyre Hill 30 yards downfield. And, yeah, sure, two is getting him the ball, but that's a it's, massive – It's like practice. Collapse on defense. It's like practice, yeah. He's throwing um, against air. Yeah, and, and even the two years before that, Tua did not play to the same level as Justin Herbert. That's just a fact. And there are those who will point out, well, Tua had a better record or whatever. Yeah, well, their defense was much better. Uh, you know, it's, and that's why I, I, I hate, I hate, I hate, I hate the fixation some people have on one loss record for quarterbacks. I understand it's kind of down the line because Trent Dilfer won a Super Bowl, and I don't think anybody's ever accused him of being an elite quarterback. <laughs> no, we're on, the, we're on the same boat. I, I, I don't like that QB win stat. I think it's garbage, to be honest with you. It's lazy analysis because there's so much that goes into a win in the NFL. Defense, special teams, coaching decisions. Will a quarter? Will a special quarterback win you an extra two or three games a year? Sure. Rivers did it here for years. Um, Marino did it for the Dolphins for years. Absolutely. If you have one of those generational type quarterbacks, he's going to win you two or three games that he probably shouldn't. But then sometimes they're going to cost you a game or two that they probably shouldn't. So that stuff evens out. And at the end of the day, it's the team that wins the games. So I, I'm not a big fan of those. The QB wins that. I, I just, like I said, I think it's lazy analysis. Um, well, where I disagree with you here, if, if I if I may, um, sure. is that, as I do think the quarterback makes a huge difference, especially in 2023. But I, I think I think to stop everything at one loss record as an indicator of what kind of quarterback you are, as, as I agree, the, your term is perfect. It's lazy. There, are, There's more that goes into it. Yeah, that's my only point. Uh, obviously, having a star quarterback makes a huge difference, and it it's what makes a difference between mediocre teams and good teams. At the end of the day, you got to have that that guy calling the shots. Yep. Um, all right, well, let's go. I've got some visual aids here. Let's talk um, Chargers offense versus Dolphins defense. Um, kind of talk some matchups here. 
And what what kind of a difference do you think Fangio's defense is going to make this year, particularly against the Chargers? I have some of my own ideas. Um, and talk about where you think the Dolphins have some advantages and where you think the Chargers might have some advantages. Okay. Uh, first of all, if I may correct your your chart, which is very cool, by the way. My suspicion, and while the Dolphins will use that alignment in certain games, I think this would then be an alignment they would use against team where they that they would expect would, would focus on the running game more. For example, okay. in week two. Against the Chargers, my expectation is here you would remove Raekwon Davis, mm-hmm. you would cater Kohu in the slot, and then you would have veteran Eli Apple lining up outside opposite Xavier Howard. Okay. Uh, the safety spot opposite Javon Holland, not totally set in stone. It could be that they would go with Veron McKinley. Veron McKinley was a second-year player from Oregon, but it could be Deshaun for these purposes. The matchup here that screams to me as an advantage for the Dolphins is Jalen Phillips against Trey Pipkins. Um, Pipkins is a – how could, can we categorize him as a serviceable right tackle? Is that a fair assessment? I would say that's fair. Yeah, he he showed some development last year, but he's still got a ways to go. Okay. And Jalen Phillips is a high-effort dude with high-end potential. Uh, I know some fans, if you, if you believe Peter Schrager from NFL Network – uh, had him as his number two breakout player for 2023, talking about 15, 16 sacks. I don't know about that. I don't know that that's quite his ceiling, but he's gotten eight eight or eight and a half sacks his first two seasons in the NFL. So he'll certainly be, you know, hovering around the 10 mark. That looks like a really, really favorable matchup uh, for the Dolphins here. Dolphins are going to do a whole lot of different things on defense. That's part of the Fangio thing is where they show a look – right up yep. to the snap and then they they change probably more zone than man if you're gonna if you're gonna go there uh it they have the ability to, if they want to match up cornerback to receiver they could do that with Xavier Howard I don't know that that there's anybody on the Chargers who screams needing to be matched up one-on-one because they do have three good wide receivers based on the reports I'm hearing from Quentin Johnston throughout training camp in the preseason um I do recall one play last year where Mike Williams went went deep on X after Herbert rolled out and threw it across his body. One of those stupid, yep, stupid highlight plays. I mean, stupid good. I mean, the dude was like basically barely his feet set and he hit it on the on a rope fifty yards on the field. It's ridiculous. Um, that play, however, it needs to be pointed out. This was X without completely healthy legs. Uh, not sure Mike Williams gets behind them in the regular season if if Howard is right physically. Um, so absolutely, the Phillips-Pipkins matchup is the one. Cater, Kohu, Keenan Allen, if they go nickel and Allen's your slot receiver, I think Kohu, that could be a problem. Kohu's a very promising young defensive back. Made the team as a rookie free agent from Texas A&M Commerce and played very well, was thrust into a lot of playing time because they had injuries at cornerback last year, starting with Byron Jones not playing the whole year. And while there's a high ceiling there and he showed a lot of promise, that looks like a tough ma- tough matchup for him going against Keenan Allen, who's a very, very good route runner. Um, and that happened late in the season. I'm trying to remember. It was Isaiah McKenzie, I want to say, maybe in the Buffalo game in the key Saturday night matchup. 
down the stretch, one of the made the biggest plays of the game to set up the game-winning field goal was Kohu matched up against McKenzie in the slot, and he got beat to the outside pretty easily and got got flagged. Got, he got flagged for both defensive holding and pass interference on the play, set up the game-winning touchdown. That's a tough matchup there. Um, favorable matchups. Um, wouldn't think the Chargers are going to do a whole lot of running against against the Dolphins defense. It's a really, really good run defense. Zach Sealer and Christian Wilkins are very, very, very good against the run. Both of them. Uh, that's one matchup I like. And as mentioned before, Javon Holland, if Herbert tries to get overly aggressive down the field, uh, Javon Holland picks him off. Oh, and correct me if I'm wrong, teammates at Oregon. I do suspect. Yeah, they had to I be. I think you're correct. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, wouldn't be shocked if Holland picked off his old teammates, uh, his old teammate there, because that's going to be his thing. And that kind of what stands out to me there. Okay, we go. Uh, no, you switch to the other. My mistake. I hit the wrong button. Yeah. Keep going. Okay, good. No, I was, I was done. That's what stand out, that stands out to me. Okay. Right. No, the, right. Bradley Chubb, the Bradley Chubb or Sean Slater matchup is really a good one because there's a two, two high-end players right there. Yeah, you've mentioned Chubb a couple times. I'm, I guess I'm curious. It seems like he hasn't really lived up to what he was early in his Denver career. Do you, do you think he's still that high-end guy who's going to be a productive sack guy, or is he – more of a, a mid-level kind of plug-and-play guy. Like, is he, what no, what are you yeah. expecting from him this year? Yeah, no, he better he better be a high-level player considering the Dolphins spent a first-round pick on him. Um, and here's the thing. Chubb has been up and down with his sack numbers. He's also had a lot of minor injuries. That's been one problem for him. And Dolphins got him at the trade deadline last year. Wasn't a major impact player, but – he was dealing with minor injury stuff again after he got here. And then you also have the issue of the transition mid-year. This year now he's with the team since the offseason program, and he looked really, really good in the summer uh, and in the preseason. So I think the expectation, everybody's going to be massively disappointed if he, if he doesn't have a highly productive season in terms of not only sacks, but disruptive plays, maybe you know some forced fumbles. We, I mentioned Jalen Phillips and the expectation with – Peter Schrager throwing out 15, 16 sacks. To me, if you were to ask me if anybody on this on this defense can get 15, 16 sacks, not that I'm expecting it, but I would tell you probably a lot more chub than it would be Phillips. I think the, the high-end potential is a lot higher there. Okay. Well, that'll be a fun matchup. I, I'm looking forward to having Slater back because that guy's a beast. He's been – he was fantastic as a rookie. Unfortunately, they lost him early last year, but he's shown the ability to really shut down high-end pass rushers – uh, since he's been in the league. So it's going to be fun to have him back. It'll be a big difference between having him there and having uh, Jamari Salyer playing left tackle like they did last year. Um, I, I tell you, I think one of the big keys for me, just looking at these matchups, and you mentioned it earlier, is Zach Sealer and Christian Wilkins. Those guys absolutely dominated the line of scrimmage last year when these two teams played. They were in the backfield on virtually every running play. They were terrors as pass rushers. It almost seemed like Joe Lombardi did not have a plan for either one of them. I mean, there were plays where they were one-on-one -on -one against tight ends. There were plays where they were one-on-one -on -one with fullback Xander Horvath, uh, pulling across the line of scrimmage to try to take Wilkins out before he got to the quarterback. I mean, it was like they didn't even know those guys existed. Um, so for me, controlling Sealer and Wilkins is going to be a huge deal for this for this game. If they if they let those guys dominate the line of scrimmage again, 
and they wind up having to double team one of them or throw extra bodies at both of them, then Chubb and Phillips are going to be much more difficult to handle on the edge and things could get really ugly really fast. Um, and that's, that's a big matchup too, because the chargers have a new guard tandem. You know, last year Zion Johnson was the right guard. Now he's flipped to his more natural left guard. You've got Salier moving from left tackle to right guard. So two guys playing new positions against pro bowl, if not all pro caliber type players in sealer and Wilkins. And that's going to be probably the biggest matchup for the chargers offense to handle. I think, um, in terms of blocking and controlling the line of scrimmage. Um, I think one of the interesting things about the Chargers wide receivers group is all these guys can play pretty much all over the place. Keenan has basically lived in the slot the last couple of years. Mike Williams has more or less been outside um, running deep routes for the last couple of years. It sounds like they're going to try to get Williams open in space in the short and intermediate route and create a catch up or run after catch opportunities for him. So you could see Williams in the slot. Johnston played slot and outside. I think he's more of an X receiver in the NFL, but you might see him play some slot as well. So those pieces are kind of interchangeable and it's kind of the same thing with uh, Joshua Palmer, their fourth receiver. All those guys can play just about any position in the offense. And I think you're going to be seeing the chargers try to find opportunities for them to make plays in space so they can catch and run with the ball um, and create explosive plays without actually having to necessarily push it down the field. Uh, um, quick, quick note, since you made the point about Williams lining up in the slot, that becomes a problem for the Dolphins because Kohu does not have great size and Williams is a big dude. Uh, that becomes a tough matchup for the Dolphins. And regardless whether with Allen, it's the running ability versus a, a still relatively inexperienced cornerback with Williams as a size. Yeah, I think that'll be an interesting matchup to watch. Um, and obviously Howard versus any of these three guys should be interesting. I think Chargers fans are really excited about Quentin Johnston. Um, he's a guy who had some issues catching the ball a little bit in camp and in the preseason. Uh, he has not, he's not very accustomed to really physical coverage. He, he kind of got the, you know, um, Tyree kill and Jalen Waddle treatment in college where people were playing off of him and giving him space to operate. And I'm not sure that he'll get that opportunity against top notch corners in the NFL. So we'll see how he handles that. Um, but I think the other, and you mentioned it, the other element here is the addition of Vic Fangio because Fangio gave the chargers fits and Justin Herbert fits with the way he changed his looks from pre-snap to snap. Um, and a lot of it was just playing a lot of cover six and a lot of cover two and forcing Herbert to throw the ball in that bucket area along the, the perimeter um, between the corner and the safety, drop it in there. He just hasn't been willing to do that. So the question for me is how is Herbert advanced in terms of identifying coverages pre-snap and making adjustments at the line of scrimmage? Can they play with tempo and keep the dolphins on their heels instead of having these long 15, 20 play drives that take eight minutes to kick a field goal can they put together quicker drives with a better tempo and move the ball quickly in chunks and score touchdowns and keep the Dolphins guessing? Um, and can they handle these these different coverage looks uh, that Fangio is certainly going to throw at them? I think that's going to be a big test. It's actually a really good test for Herbert coming out of the gate because those are things that he has struggled with at times. And the reports out of camp are that he's improved with those things and he's identifying things much more quickly at the line of scrimmage. So we'll see how that plays out when a master like Fangio starts throwing the kitchen sink at him during games. Yep. 
Let's move on to the Dolphins offense versus the Chargers defense. Okay, let me look at the lineup first. If Okay, Cedric Wilson is not going to be in the starting lineup. That's going to be Braxton Berrios is going to be in the slot. Or like the Chargers, the Dolphins have options there. They can line up Hill in the slot. They can line up Waddle in the slot, which is things they did last year. Your third, your third wide receiver is going to be Braxton Berrios. And then your four could be Wilson, Eric Ezukamo <clears throat> is a second-year, fourth-round pick, or River Craycraft. Liam Eikenberg is not going to be your starting left guard. It's going to be Isaiah Wynn. Okay. Teron Armstead. Knock on wood is going to be the starting left tackle. He's dealing with an injury. He sustained in the second joint practice against Houston on August 17th, I want to say. Um he was on he hasn't practiced since then. He was on Good Morning Football this week saying his goal, quote unquote, is to be ready for week one. Uh so that would be the changes, the one change there. Um, and then you have Durham Smythe. Don't be surprised if uh, you see also, also a lot of fullback Alan King Gold, who just actually signed a, a contract extension. And then in terms of the matchups here, well, yeah, the one that screams out is going to be Joey Bosa against Austin Jackson, who is a 2020 first round pick who has yet to pan out. He Dolphins did not, ex, uh, you know, exercise his fifth year option as as nobody expected them to, and he moved made the move from the left side to right tackle last year. Unfortunately, he he sustained a high ankle sprain in the opener. Was out until November, late November. Comes back, first game back, another ankle injury is out for the year. He's looked better in the summer training camp preseason, but he's still an unproven guy as far as what kind of level he can achieve as an NFL offensive lineman. And going up against Joey Bosa, yeah, that's quite the test right off the bat. I would be surprised if they didn't provide him help, whether it's a back sting in the backfield or a whole lot of chipping uh, as opposed to just going straight straight one-on-one. You know, you, you got Bosa block him. Not sure that's a winning proposition there. <laughs> and then Khalil Mack, there's a problem on the other side if Armstead can't play. Uh, they have if Armstead can't play, the the expectation is that Kendall Lamb, uh, what six seven eight year veteran, Tennessee Titans, Cleveland Browns, uh, would get the start. He looked good throughout the summer until the last couple of weeks where the play dipped, and no matter how you slice it, Dolphin offensive line without Teron Armstead just does not look the same. And it becomes very problematic. That's a matchup to watch uh, that could favor the Chargers. The matchup on the other, on the other end is again, how do, even though they had a lot of success last year with mostly backup guys, is how do the Chargers deal with the speed of Hill and Waddle? That's always going to be the biggest challenge for any defense facing this team. Yeah, I think. You know, you pointed out Austin Jackson. To me, I think you're going to see a lot of Bosa and Mac basically taking turns on Jackson. And I think when you get to sub packages, like <laughs> the way you're phrasing that, you beat him up for a few rounds. I go at him all. I think I think that's going to be the plan. To be honest with you, um, and when they get to sub packages, I think you'll see a lot of Morgan Fox, and I think you'll see him on that right side, and I think you'll see a lot of games and stunts. 
and probably some extra blitzers, whether it's Diane Henley or Kenneth Murray, or maybe a Derwin James. Um, I think they're going to try to overload that right side and confuse and fluster Jackson and try to create pressure there. Um, one of the areas the Chargers have really struggled with is creating pressure up the middle. So I'm curious what you think of this offensive line in terms of, you know, heat of the moment, shootout, you need to go down and score 30, 40 points. Is this line going to hold up in pass protection, or do you think there's still some questions to be answered about it? Oh, that's a great question. There are a whole lot of questions to be answered about it. Um, I just wrote a story on alldolphins.com pointing out that one of the reasons for optimism is that the offensive line did look better in the summer than it did last year. But this is a group that's taken a whole lot of flack over recent years. A lot of it justified. Some of it's over the top, but a lot of it's been justified. It's not been a great unit. And last year, actually, when Armstead was in the lineup, it was like the pass protection for the most part was very good. When he was out, it was bad with a capital B. And there was there was no there was no part or section of the game that illustrated that better than the Houston game they played here in Miami, where Armstead got injured late in the second quarter. And Tua wound up playing two series without him, maybe three series without him. He got sacked five times. I mean, it, it was like, it was basically, it was a meet and greet at the quarterback. Um, but when, again, when he was in there, the pass protection held up. And not a good sign when you're that dependent on one player. Uh, but that was the reality of it last year. The hope is that this year it's better that Isaiah Wynn is going to start at left guard bring some stability to that position, which was a problem last year, that Jackson takes that step up that the coaches have wanted to see since he got here as a 2020 first-round pick. Um, because if it doesn't, then obviously there's there's problems. Uh, but, again, it, the offensive line didn't prevent Tua from leading the NFL in passer rating in 2022. It didn't prevent from, I think, the Dolphins, if I'm not mistaken, might have been number one in the NFL in total offense through 11 weeks. Or if they weren't, they were pretty high. And before things kind of went south, and again, this is where is the real Dolphin offense or the Dolphin offense of 2023 the one that's going to be like the one from the first 11 games, or is it going to be more like the one from the last the struggle? Um, yeah, I think – the, the other matchup that I, that kind of standing out to me right now, and I don't know if it's going to be Hill or Waddle, but uh, JC Jackson, who is recognized as one of the best corners in the league, but had a down year last year coming back from big injury. Uh, we don't really know what JC Jackson is going to be. There's optimism that he's back to full health. He, you know, he, he worked his ass off to get back and the team's excited to have him back, but What's that going to look like? Can he play press coverage? Can he be physical? Is he going to have to play zone and give more of a cushion? And is that going to give the, the Dolphins more of an opportunity to get to the middle of the field and, and catch the ball in space? So I think that's going to be an interesting thing. Um, what, in terms of pressure, pass rush pressure, what do you think affects two of the most? Is it interior pressure in his face or is it the edge pressure? Oh, no, no. It's in his face. Uh, it's in his face because if it comes from the outside, he he, he will step up in the pocket and make, and make plays. That He's done that in the past. Um, you know, he, he has the pocket presence. 
to get that done in this game. He's not a, necessarily, I would call a quick guy or overly fast, but he does have some mobility and he'll be able to do that. If you get pressure right up the middle, then the fact that he's not a terribly tall quarterback, I mean, then, then he becomes well, having to throw over the guys becomes an issue. Um, and then if you, if you force him to throw on the run, that's where the arm strength limitation comes into play. So I, that clearly, without a doubt, the, the pressure of the middle is the bigger issue. I, the, I, the one question I would have from the Chargers standpoint is, and I, I think I recall last year they played a lot of man-to-man uh, and press. And they, they did. They, okay. And if they do that again, and again, that's a great strategy. You better not miss your check at the line of scrimmage because you're you're not you're not keep you're generally not going to keep up, you know, in terms of speed with those two guys. Yeah, they played a lot of press, particularly with Michael Davis. Um, whoever was on his side of the field, he was up in their face and really beating them up. And it, I think it really threw off the, the timing of some of the dolphins routes. Um, Jackson, JC Jackson, I think is more of his own guy. He's more sit back in the zone and read the quarterback's eyes and try to make a jump on the football. We'll see if they're going to be that physical with him. I think Asante Samuel jr. He's a little undersized, probably better playing in zone, but you might see him press a little bit. And then there's always the wild card of maybe trying to throw Derwin James on somebody and and trying to jam use him to jam people at the line of scrimmage. So they have some options there. You know, you saw a lot of Aloha Gilman um, playing sing, uh, single high in that game. He rotated down into the box at times. I was actually pretty surprised watching that game. I, I don't have a very high opinion of Aloha Gilman, but I watched him basically calling the Dolphins plays from the secondary in that game. He was lining people up based on the formation, telling them exactly what, what was going to happen. And everybody was basically sitting on routes, waiting, waiting for the ball to come to them. So that was pretty telling for me for a guy who hasn't been all that great um, to be that far ahead of the game and, and be basically calling the offense from the secondary Mm -hmm. was a big deal. So we'll see if that continues or if there's some wrinkles that Mike McDaniel has planned for them. And no, and there's without question, he, he, Mike McDaniel is too smart a guy to, you know, to throw exactly the exact same thing they threw at them last year, considering it didn't work out well. Yeah. I think the interesting thing for me though, is, you know, he could have made adjustments in the, at halftime, but they kind of came out and tried to do the same thing in the second half. Mm-hmm. So he gets a lot of credit for being an offensive genius, but if he's not making adjustments at halftime, how smart is he? He's pretty smart. Um, <laughs> he's, not, he's not perfect, and he made some coaching mistakes. One of And one of which, again, is if you have success the entire year, because of the speed of Hill and Waddle, it's awfully difficult to get away from that default position. And I, and I think that was if, – if he had a shortcoming as a coach in his first year last year, and a lot of – there's also a lot of chatter about the game management – uh, they also had an awful lot of pre-snap penalties, including like delay games and stuff like that. Uh, but I, I think he was a little bit too stubborn with the, the passing game. And, and again, it's awfully tempting when you have those two guys. And if you saw if you saw what they did, I mean, it's like, man, how, how can you not fall in love and just keep going to it and keep going to it? So that's yeah. a that's a balance he has to strike. And that's. Um... That's something I think a lot of coaches struggle with is this is what we do. This is what's going to be. This is what I do really at the end of the day. This is what I do. This is what got me here. This is what we're going to do no matter what. And sometimes they have a hard time coming off that. 
So except except the funny part too is that Mike McDaniel was hired by the Dolphins and he arrived with this reputation as their running game guru. Well, he was hired before Tariq Hill became available via trade. And once the Dolphins got the Hill, McDaniel like kind of recalibrated, like, oh, wait a second. Running game, what running game? Forget the running game. I got all that speed outside. Let me, you know, let me maximize it. And that's what he did. And the results for the most part were very good. Well, Alan, I think we've pretty much covered every aspect of this game. Is there anything else you wanted to mention before we go? No, other than the fact that it's a hell of a juicy matchup for week one. I mean, it's almost, almost, almost wish. And, and the fact that it's not in prime time, it was a Sunday night game last year. Um, was that, wasn't it flex? It was flex last year, right? I think so. It was flex, it was flex last year. And yeah, to me, it's, I, I think the potential juiciness of the matchup almost makes it a, a crime. It's buried at 425 in week one. And I haven't seen the national schedule yet, but I'm going to guess everybody's going to get New England and Philly instead because we love the Patriots. Or <laughs> Do we, though? <laughs> the TV networks, you know? And I kind of get the feeling that this game's not given the proper showcase that it deserves. I think that this should have been like, I don't know. It should have been a Thursday night game, in my opinion, if not the Thursday night game this week. Well, they have to open with the Super Bowl champion or – or a Sunday night game or a Monday night game. I mean, the, Do the Dolphins' one Monday night game is against the Tennessee Titans. I mean, I'm sorry, but... Who really, cares? That's, that's, well, <laughs> I, you know, I don't know if I want to say who cares, but it's not exactly... They have so many really good matchups, and that's the one that they chose for Monday night football. I mean, really? Yeah. Well, hey, I had a lot of fun. I thought this was a great show, and we covered a lot. So thank you very much for being on the show. My pleasure. Um, we mentioned it earlier, but do you want to let everybody know where they can find you if they want to learn more about the Dolphins? Absolutely. So you can find my written work at alldolphins.com, just, just like that, alldolphins.com. And then uh, my colleague and I, Omar Kelly, and I have a you know, daily podcast, which you can find on YouTube. It's the All Dolphins podcast. very easy. Awesome. Well, Alan, you were great. I really enjoyed this. Thanks again for coming on. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. All right, everybody, that'll do it for the first regular season episode of The Walkthrough. Thanks for tuning in, and uh, we will see you next time. Thank you.